welcome back to the Orion Open Science Podcast. I'm Emma Harris. I'm Louisa Bengtsson. And we're broadcasting to you from Berlin, Germany. This is the part two of our animal research, well, animal research communication, openness in animal research communication episodes. Indeed. And it will be based on, we're bringing you the excerpts and talking points from an event that took place in, in Berlin, um, here in Berlin, at the MDC in July 2018. The event was called Improving Openness and Animal Research in Germany. Uh, it was a meeting organized by the uh, Defense Forum of Neuroscience um, and European Animal Research Association, so FENS and IARA. And basically the event was... A series of talks? Yeah, so there was four talks um, and there was also a panel discussion uh, which took questions from the audience um, and, you know, it was, uh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> so a regular meeting, so to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, kind of what you'd expect. Um, and the speakers were Kirk Leach, the executive director of the European Animal Research Association, Dr. Andreas Lengeling, the animal research and welfare officer of Max Planck Society, um, Volker Stollert, um, who is um, resident the Science Media Center in Germany, and Dr. Thomas Kammertens, uh, he's a cancer researcher here at the MDC. Yeah, so the, the event was uh, focused on animal research communication in uh, Germany, but I'm sure... I mean, It I, was pretty universal. Yeah. yeah there's, there was nothing there really that was, um, I think, wouldn't apply to every other European country. So here it comes. Hamilton's discussed his views on the nature of the debate about animal research. You know, I think research involving animal experiments will probably always have ambiguities and moral dilemma because if we don't do the experiment, we don't have people that suffer. If we do the experiments, animals suffer. So there's no good way around it. And I think it's important to, to, to mention that Nobody has ultimate solutions for these kinds of problems, in my opinion. And I think uh, neither uh, animal activists nor, nor scientists have moral superiority over one another. And, 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 and these kind of problems, you know, don't have black and white solutions. And that is, I think, why we should discuss and exchange argument to find the best compromise, basically fighting for the middle ground. And I think this is especially important in times like these where extremists and the fringes of society, it, you know, get stronger and stronger. Uh, why, in my opinion, it's not, why is it not enough openness and, 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 and communication taking place from the scientist's side? I think many of us are, are try to hide and are reluctant to, act, to argue with activists or to speak out in public. And I think this has many different reasons. Uh, for, for me, myself, I think it's mostly fear that kind of I expose myself and um, uh, it would kind of hurt my family and so on. If you get death threats and all these things that you hear, I know that uh, scientists in Berlin have gotten death threats by the phone. Um, the other thing is I think we, many of us don't feel they have enough time and they are too busy. One has to accept that, I guess. Um, and, yeah, I don't want to go into all the de details. We can discuss this later then. Anyway, uh, but I think we also don't take the concerns of these, these animal activists seriously enough 
the, the justified concerns. So do we really think enough about alternatives? Is there enough money put into this and so on? You know, we write this in our applications, but I think we have to earnestly discuss this. And that the Charité, for example, has at the moment a Struyar Center built where they try to get some of the material, uh, with human materials, which you otherwise would throw away to make exper better experimentation. These efforts have to be discussed. Kirklich outlined how the challenges for communicating animal research have changed over the last decade. Traditionally, an event like this, you'd have seen people outside protesting. You'd often see people using extremist language and often being quite violent in the past against animal research. I can say today that in Germany, as in every other European country, there is not a single researcher or a single institution, either private research or public research, who's the subject of a nasty, vicious campaign as in the past. Uh, part of my job, I meet, I, meet the, I meet the police and they very readily make this point that today that's gone. But it's not to say there aren't groups who are opposed, ethically opposed, morally opposed to these animals and research, but the whole situation has changed and um, we no longer face the threats in the past. So what are the challenges? I think the first challenges we face is a communications challenge. These organizations no longer wear balaclavas and, and what have you. They are professional lobbyists and professional communicators. Obviously their messages that animal research is torture and the benefits of animal research for humans are illusory, don't exist, are quite simple and quite straightforward. And often the scientific messaging is a bit more mediated than that. Our messages around these animals and research for basic research or applied research are not often reducible to kind of like little sound bites, but they are much better than we are. They are often much better communicators than we are. They're professionally run organizations with lots of money and they are very good at what they do. We also face what we call leg legislative challenges, attempts to amend the law to regulate the law. Obviously in Germany, you have the complication of there being federal uh, laws that also impact on animal research. But in across the whole of Europe, this was the last significant attempt to make it more difficult to use animals in research. This was the European Citizens Initiative, the ECI, which was brought in on the back of getting one and a half million signatures. Um, and its demand to the European Commission was effectively to end all animal research. The Commission threw it out. It didn't, it, it believed that there were valid scientific ethical reasons for these animals in research. But interestingly enough, it, it actually agreed with part of the petition's um, aims, actually, which are aims or claims, actually, which was that animal research is too secretive. There's not enough transparency when it comes to animal research in Europe. And the Commission encouraged greater engagement by the scientific community to the public. And another commission often says things that people don't listen to and we can have a good discussion about the commission. But I think when it comes to this, it's worth thinking about that because today transparency and openness is the zeitgeist. And if there's a perception that the public are being denied information, which they somehow believe belongs to them and the scientific community doesn't listen to that, then we should not be surprised if at some point compulsion comes in or at some point 
the research community is forced to be more open. And I think that would be a, a, a bad move for us all. We also face what I would call reputational challenges. You know, the shift away from violence has led to more ingenious means of challenging animal research. And as you know, with the Max Planck Society in Germany a couple of years ago, the undercover film led to and continues to lead to significant challenges for researchers and the Max Planck as, a, as an institution. And although undercover films are quite rare events, they can have a devastating impact on institutions because you realize the person you were working with in the lab was somebody who was there for other, other purposes. Um, and although these are rare events, as I, as I said, they can have a big impact. And we also face, interestingly enough, scientific challenges. Um, activists are now seeking to have um, scientific articles in scientifically approved journals, challenging some of the basic um, essences of animal research. And they attend the same conferences that we attend. Um, in one sense, we should welcome this because obviously it means that it's a scientific discussion and that's to, to be welcomed. But it's interesting that they think they can win the argument within the scientific community. This generated questions from the audience. Would you give us a hint how to start with this openness? Because sometimes I think the public is not prepared for the information, it is shocked, and how we can take the public with us to understand what is behind the data. I'd say it in, in two ways. Firstly, openness actually starts inside the institution itself. So there's a necessity to make sure that people in your institution know what you do. And often you find in institutions, you know, people in many other departments have no idea there's a research facility and because often there's no label or any kind of badge that says it's what we do. That's the first thing. But I think the, the thing I would do is to say, okay, bring together three or four people who are the key decision makers within your institution. So it would be the, the head of science, the dean of science, maybe the communications person, um, maybe one of the researchers, the person who runs the animal facility, and have an honest assessment and say, okay, this is where we are today. This is what we do, this is what we don't do. Where would we like to be in one year's time? And what are the small steps we would need to take? And it may be the first thing you do is, as I mentioned, next time an animal has been used in some research which is published, just mention the animal. You probably find that nobody even notices it. It might be, okay, that we've done that. How about now putting on a, a statement on our website about the animals we use and the purpose for it? I would do that. So I would, you, you do it step by step. And by doing it like that, you make sure you bring the institution, bring the institution with you. In terms of the public, just about every opinion poll that you look at on this issue, I know opinion polls are not trusted anymore. You know, they got Trump wrong, they got Brexit wrong. Um, But I do think opinion polls can give us some kind of indication where people stand on this issue. And every opinion poll I've ever looked at, if you ask the question, do you support the use of animals in research? Like that, a cold question. Support is quite low, it's shockingly low. But once you provide a bit of context, so do you support the use of animals in research for cancer research? Uh, look at Zika, Ebola, looking at Parkinson's disease, dementia, what have you, support goes up, up and up. And it's all about context. So if we can provide context, that, that works. And this is gonna sound really crazy to a lot of people, but I think we need to trust the public. 
I mean, 10 years ago, if you said that you can trust the public, then people would say, of course. But these days, politicians, a lot of us don't trust the public. They think the public is excitable. The public can do terrible things. And yes, they probably can. But I think if you provide the public with the emotional and factual information, I think we should trust the public to make up their minds. And I think if, we make, if they make up their minds in the context of information, they'll go with science and progress. Do we have, uh, yes, another question. Um, regarding the context, giving people such a context, I mean, we had these, um, this meeting this year with this um, organization which was called uh, Medical Doctors Against Animal Research. Yes. We gave them the context. We actually tried to argue. And what they said is that cancer and all other diseases are human-made. What do you argue with these people? I mean, like, in the end, they broke up the discussion and they just yeah. were gone. How can you argue as a scientist with well, such people? I wouldn't argue with them. See, my, I mean, I argue with these people all the time. Um, and I, and but I think our arguments, our messages are not for them, they're for the public. Because, in, I mean, I think, you know, one-to-one -one debating them is fine. We're not trying to convince them that they're wrong. You know, in every society, you're going to find people who are ethically, morally convinced that animal research is the last possible thing they want. You're not going to convince them. In that society, you're going to find substantial numbers of people who are in favor of animal research. But in the middle, you find a public which is denied the information. Because in most countries, what you, what you see is in this ear, they hear that animal research is torture, that the diseases are human-made, that animal research doesn't translate into human benefit. In this ear, they hear nothing. They hear very little. So our argument isn't that animal research is the answer to everything, but we need to provide a, provide a balanced story for the public, a balanced narrative. And if people only hear one side of an argument, they're going to go with the argument. So I, I mean, debate these people. I debate them. It's a bit of fun. But that's, they're not our audience. Our audience is the public. It's their lovers, it's their mothers, it's their brothers, it's their sisters. That's our audience, not, not them. Volker Storlos then gave his ideas for how scientists might best speak about animal research. So somebody who has no remorse in doing animal experiments should never do one. I like this quote a lot. So that means if you are not ethical, don't do animal experiments. Mind the gap. If you talk to a public which has not experienced what you experience in the lab, there is a gap. There may be sitting a grandma beside her dog and seeing on television a kind of a, an experiment. So you would say, well, why do they use dogs? My dog is sitting next to me. So, and what you can do, and I think it's very powerful and you can be very authentic, when you tell people what you felt when you started doing new, uh, animal experiments, that you maybe have also problems with it, but you did it because you knew for the experiment it's necessary to do it. That is very convincing. You can convince people by that. And you can talk about values without getting into much detail about what the factual uh, experiment is about and what the neuroscience of the brain region you're working on. It's important, but if you contextualize, this is with your values. Langling offered an insight into how an institution might improve openness. 
and there was the introduction of a fourth R for responsibility. Uh, so you know the three R's, the principles have uh, been laid out uh, for animal work, which are replacement, reduction, and refinement. And there was a fourth R being added to, which, which means to be responsible in the way we're undertaking uh, animal research and to think about this. And what is this, this fourth R uh, covering? What is meant with this responsibility? Uh, we want to put out programs actually to do research on the cognitive capabilities of different species, really knowing how they um, explore their environment, what, what cognitive capabilities do they have, that we can take account of this when we're doing our research. Also do research on adequate living and housing conditions. How can these be improved? Um, I think there's quite a lot of knowledge missing for animals which are not mice, rats, and zebrafish, where you have quite a lot of high standards how you can accommodate them. Also research on objective measures uh, for recognition of distress and pain. We should have uh, some really objective ways of looking at the animals to, to recognize distress and pain, to, to really uh, qualify this, this much better. Uh, have a proactive engagement in the public in the discourse of animal ethics. Uh, and it's, it's quite clear that you need to have a continuous improvement of, of guidelines of ethical conduct. And there's a lot of knowledge actually there which also needs to be disseminated. And the idea is knowledge really protects animals. People which, which have knowledge about um, animals uh, are in the best position also to protect them. Volker Stolos then answered a question about how scientists are viewed by the public. I think that we are facing a threat for whole science, so that we are challenged, that our credibility is challenged pretty much. And so it's basically more or less the same thing, what we experience here. And uh, we have lost our credibility as scientists because somehow people see us as somehow above the sky, somehow. And uh, please prove me wrong that it is that way, but I think it's a general thing that we uh, are challenged by public and that we lost most of our credibility. Do you think the same, or is it just, you know, drama queen from my side? I mean, if you look at uh, general uh, trust of the public in science, it, it was high and it still is high, in general, with few exceptions. No, it's just, you, they're politicians 50 years and it's stable and it's high. But there are areas where it's not like in climate change or in some uh, vaccinations, animal experiences, I think it's a different issue because there are these ethical dilemmas you cannot avoid, which is different from climate change. It's a different discussion. So we need to first look in the um, distant uh, discussions. And I think the most important thing is that um, in when a debate becomes polarized, you should be aware as a com communicator, as he said, don't go for the opposition, go for the public. And that's what you need to win. So you need to win basically the majority, not the 1% standing in front of your institution and doing some kind of uh, protesting. This is not the most important part of the communication problem because in the end, the legal situation will depend on the majority of the people out there. Will they allow it or will they trust you? And in what way will they not trust you? So it's really a pity I couldn't be there for the event, actually. Um, yeah. I would love to have been there because I've heard only really good things about it. So everybody was really happy with uh, the way it turned out and the take-home message is 
pretty much everybody agrees. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, so Thomas ran in here actually uh, to my Thomas Camertons, uh, and he was also like, "Ah, oh, there was something I forgot to tell in at the event, uh, which I think is really important." And I found it really interesting. So his point was basically. Um, it is good that the animal research is being more and more regulated, that people are thinking about it, how to improve the quality of it and the efficiency and so on. Uh, that's all good. Um, however, um, his, um, his opinion is, and it seems, I mean, he's not the only one, uh, that basically this uh, new phone, sort of like this new regulations of animal research, mainly translate in more administrative burden for the researcher. Mm. So it's not really improving the, you know, the health and the care of animals and the well-being in any ways. It's just deproving, de de no, <laughs> decreasing, decreasing, <laughs> decreasing. <yeah. laughs> definitely much more worsening the, the health and conditions and uh, of the researcher. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I found it interesting point that uh, whenever we want to like uh, when we know when we talk about uh, yeah um, having a more nuanced uh, opinion or methodology on something research uh, we usually come up with regulations more mm. regulations more administrative regulations mm. you know it reminds me a bit like um, when people talk about regulation of CRISPR Cas technologies mm, yeah. instead of like having a more just more discussion about it people call for more laws but you cannot base you cannot make laws if you don't really base it on like the reality of what's actually happening i don't know it's just something that i was thinking about and um i don't know, i think he has good points and i wonder if this can be improved yeah. somehow yeah i mean i totally agreed with him i mean i used to work in ethics and ethics compliance mm. And I always argued that unless you reduce the administrative burden on researchers, you are not going to get them in the room to talk about the the bigger stuff, the the the, the dilemmas, the future, the you know the the morality yeah. of things, because they haven't got time. Yeah, um, and just... it's your fault they haven't got time. So, yeah. And I mean, he gave the example. Thomas, I mean, gave the example of um, they have to fill in a form about what would happen if the 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 rat escaped or something well it's been bred in a laboratory if it escaped it would die it's not complicated yeah. you know and they have to fill in like three pages on what would happen if this you know the rat escaped and you know the health of the rat in the outside world um that to yeah. me doesn't seem to be helping the situation and it's certainly not going to give any argument against the animal rights activists i mean mm. they're going to see it as much of a joke as the researchers do you know it's yeah, I mean, there was this case, and uh, we actually had at MDC that there was uh, there was some kind of administrative. Yeah, there was a big administrative issue uh, because basically the researcher broke off an experiment, animal experiment, uh, used less mice than stated in the original application because it realized that it's actually not going anywhere mm -hmm. and had enough data points and to show that this is not uh, yeah. The original hypothesis was wrong, and uh, so the experiment was not leading anywhere. Broke off the experiment and got fined for not complying with the original application. Oh, for goodness sake. And then it's like, it just gets absurd. It's um, Yeah, yeah. Well, that's surely, that's under reduce, under the three R's, reduce, yeah. refine, and replace. That's surely reduced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's bureaucracy gone mad. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I think there should be more things like the event that, that, you know, we featured in this episode and less forms for researchers to fill out. 
definitely. Or probably more likely the postdocs of researchers. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think it's like everybody's Everybody, yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. everybody. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, that's it for today. Yeah. Um, so that again, includes our animal research. Yes. Yep. We're happy to know. We're, we're done now. <laughs> yes. Got it out of our system. Uh, but we can continue the conversation on Twitter. Absolutely. So get um, back to us. Yeah. So it's OOSP underscore Orion Pod, the Orion Open Science Podcast. So here next time. And the music is brought to you by Fabiola Miguel. Sound editing is done by Paulo Oliveira. And we thank you very much for joining us. So, bye.